All right, you ready to get started? Let's do it. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you have given us grace to acknowledge the glory of the eternal Trinity by the confession of a true faith and to worship the unity and the power of the divine majesty. Keep us steadfast in this faith and defend us from all adversities. For you, O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, live and reign one God now and forever. Amen. Okay, before we jump into where we're at on uh, Mark Quart's book, and again, if you're just joining us, uh, we are studying the Saving Truth Doctrine for Lay People uh, by Reverend Professor, now sainted, Kurt Marquart, um, and uh, we're on chapter three. Before we do that, today is uh, Holy Trinity Sunday, so early service people know what that's all about now. Uh, late service people just wait for it as usual, they'll get there. Uh, so Trinity Sunday is normally the one Sunday out of the church year that we uh, use the Athanasian Creed, okay? Um, and this is on, what page is that in the hymnal? Oh, wait, I've got the hymnal in front of me. What'd you say, three what? 319. 319, thank you. There, I got a bookmark on it, okay? Um, and, um, well, here, I'll just read the background real quick. But what I, what I want to do this morning, is there, there are always a few questions for people that, you know, even if you say it once a year, you're like, huh, what does that mean, or do we really believe that? So I want to give you the opportunity today, if you have a few questions about the Athanasian Creed, uh, to take that. If you don't, we'll just jump it, you know, back into our current Bible study. This is the background material. Early in the fourth century, a North African pastor named Arius began teaching that Jesus Christ was not truly God. And we've already covered some of the Arian heresy and controversy. That was covered by Marquardt early on uh, in chapter one of his book. Uh, the church responded decisively in AD 325 with a statement of faith known as the Nicene Creed, which confessed that Jesus is in fact true God. And so that's why the Nicene Creed then is typically used uh, uh, at the Mass, the divine service, uh, that Jesus is both God and man. Oh no, it was the other daughter that asked the question. Okay. Oh, there she is. Okay. Uh, about, uh, so Jesus can be you know, in, with, and under the bread and the wine at the same time, right? So we've kind of covered that. Marquardt's been good for that as well. Is Jesus physically here present with us? Right, where he promises to be, according to God's word, correct? Uh, so in bread, in wine, in, you know, in, 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 in those means, okay? All right. So uh, toward the end of the 5th century, another creed was written that delved further into the mystery of the Trinity, though attributed to Athanasius, who was a 4th century opponent of Arius. So Athanasius, and we talked a little bit about Nicholas of Myrna, St. Nicholas, you know, who got in a, 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 a fight uh, with Arius and actually got in trouble for hitting him. Uh, it was more than a slap. Uh, so uh, though attributed Athanasius, a 4th century opponent of Arius, this anonymous creed clearly came at a later stage in the debate. Now, the Athanasian creed declares that its teachings concerning the Holy Trinity and our Lord's incarnation are, quote, the Catholic faith. And I'm just going to cover that one right now because most people, when they, when, they, when they read that or they hear that, they're like, whoa, I'm not Roman Catholic anymore or never was or, you know, do, 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 right? So Catholic lowercase c means universal, okay? So that, that's all it means. Capital C then normally implies the Roman church, Roman Catholic, okay? So make sure you understand a little bit of how that's used, um, I still, I've become old enough now that um, you and I go do some of the shut-in visits, like with the Apostles' Creed, 
and, uh, and, and, and commune with some of our older members. Uh, they typically don't say one holy Christian. They say one holy Catholic and apostolic faith. And I kind of like that. That's how I was raised as well. Um, but it was changed to Christian. Well, I don't know why we like to change things in the church, just because people were worried about confusion. But that's a matter of catechesis. Okay, so um, the Athanasian Creed declares its teachings concerning the Holy Trinity and our Lord's incarnation are the Catholic faith. In other words, this is what the true church of all times and all places has confessed. More than 15 centuries later, the church continues to confess this truth, confident that the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has given himself for our salvation. Okay, now um, I wasn't planning on reading through the whole thing. We'll confess it at the second service. So is there anybody that has glaring questions from the Athanasian Creed or is unclear uh, about any part of it. Oh, yes. Anybody else besides my wife? <laughs> yes, Mrs. McKay. What is the difference between Lord and God, I think, is your question. And uh, that, that's a really good question because we just kind of covered some of that with Professor Marquardt, didn't we? When we talked about the name of God. Anybody want to answer that before I dive in? Between the name Lord and God? You want me to deal with my wife. Okay. <laughs> that's a very good question. So, um, Lord, norm normally in your Bible, where you see Lord, normally it'll be in small caps. So you have a Bible handy, uh, open it up, it'll be in small caps. What does that typically mean? What's the actual name of God that is being referenced there, whether in Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek? Yahweh, which literally translated is, I am, okay, I am. So that's, that's actually God's name as it has been revealed to us, okay? So uh, the word just for God or gods in general, then uh, think like uh, theos or think uh, monotheistic. So monotheistic is we have a belief in one God, right? We're not polytheistic. Uh, so theos uh, is God. So um, God is just, you know, that's, that would be the term for, for God itself. So uh, there's, there's one Lord and one God, and it's the God who has revealed himself to us and has given us his name. So we know who, is, who he is, which is why Trinity Sunday really is so important and, and why if you were at early service, thank you musicians and, and all those uh, who uh, prepared such a joyful uh, jubilant service today. Uh, as, uh, as we uh, cried out, holy, 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 uh, absolutely wonderful. Did I answer your question? Uh-oh. So we'll obviously be talking about this later today at the baseball field. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think, that's, I, I th I think that's, that's pretty fair. So, so, so Lord, obviously, in, so you've got you know, curious, curios, right? Not, not curious like George, uh, curious George the monkey. Uh, curios, Lord, so Lord have mercy from the Kyrie, right? Uh, so, so Lord in the Greek is simply Lord in terms of an earthly master, if you will. But that term then gets applied, term of authority to Jesus as well, 
okay? So, um, so that's always kind of a challenge. That's why I said when, when you're in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, you'll see the small caps. When you'll see Lord in the New Testament, and it won't be in small caps, normally that's just curios as opposed to God's name. But he's both Lord and God at the same time, um, which I've heard various theologians also add to that. It's human and divine. So curious, Lord being what? Human, if you will, and, and God, Theos, being divine that way. Okay, we've got another resident theologian in here. Pastor Feeney, do you want me to call on you? Anything you want to add to that? Oh, you're sitting next. Oh, boy. Yeah, anything from our pastor's table in the back? Where's the wine? Where's the wine? Yeah, you guys are no help. Okay, question. I'm trying to figure out how to summarize your question for those listening to us online. Um, try that one more time, because you lost me. I'll just be honest. Okay. Okay. So is Lord and God uh, reveal, are you asking a postmodern question? Because you kind of are. Is this objective truth? Is that what you're getting at? That, that... Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes, I think that's fair to say. And I would say that goes back to the human and divine natures. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Anything else on that? Monty? Second to the last paragraph, we're in the, okay, the Athanasian Creed. Give me a verse number, would you? Second to last, uh, 39. And those who have done good, that one? Oh, yeah, everybody likes this one. Those who have done good will enter eternal life, and those who have done evil into eternal fire. Okay? Um, Well, let's see. Why didn't I bring a Bible up here with me? Where's it at? Anybody got a Bible handy? Find the, uh, look up, um, let's see, it would be Revelation. Oh, what's the reference on that? Pastors, help me out. Um, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, for their deeds follow them. That, is that not nine? If you want to find a Bible verse uh, quickly, you need to find a Baptist pastor. Um, (laughs) You guys aren't going to help me here either, are you? Hang out and be hung out to dry. Okay, all right, I'll find it. Um, What is that? That's in Revelation, isn't it? Okay, well, regardless, so blessed are the dead who die in the, in the Lord, um, so, so their deeds follow them. So, uh, you know, if you go to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, right, so we all know the beginning part of that, for you are saved by grace through faith, and this not on account of yourselves, right, to do what? How does the rest of it go? To do good works which God created in advance for you to do, right? 
So God has created uh, you uh, to do good works. All of this is response. All of this is sanctification. This is the holying of your life by the Holy Spirit, right? So the Holy Spirit now works within you. You do good works, okay? Um, so when you go, well, there you go, Revelation 14, 13. Thank you. I was only off by five chapters. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. Okay? So, um, you know, your works are good and God-pleasing. And on the last day, and we probably need to go, and i got to remember that reference, um, on the last day there will be a judgment day. Okay? Now, you've already been judged how and where. Oh, good answer. Baptism. I like that. Yeah, because you've been, you've been robed with Christ, right? So, so when God, God the Father uh, looks at you, He sees God the Son. And God the Son, who has already you know, been judged for the whole world, took the place, laid down the sacrifice. So you and I, and that's, all, that's what justification is all about, right? Which is what our faith rests on. We are, we are made just as if we had no sin. We are justified. We're declared not guilty, not by our works, but by what Christ has done, right? So you've already been judged according to Christ. However, will there still be a judgment day? Yes. Will you stand before the Lamb on Judgment Day? Yes. What does Scripture say about uh, you on Judgment Day? Anybody know? Have you looked at this? And there actually is a Judgment Day. I mean, your life will be unrolled, if you will, as a scroll. All the good, all the bad. Now, the beautiful thing is, (laughs) you know, what's going to happen in the midst of all that? You're marked, and and remember in Revelation, all the saints are marked on the forehead, right? They're identified. You're marked in baptism. Your name's already written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So even after we'll go through that process on Judgment Day, what's going to happen? Okay, Jesus will interrupt the voters' meeting from the back of the room (laughs) and say what? Forget about it, right? That one's mine. I got that one. They're good. Okay? So, so Jesus then, then will, you know, it, it's a now and a not yet. This is hard for us to understand. So all I can tell you is what Scripture says about that. There will be a judgment day. Okay? We will be judged. Okay? But, but the judgment now, if we are found in Christ, is a new creation. Okay? And, 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 and the deeds, Scripture says it, our, our, our deeds follow us. So we give thanks to the saints. Why? We celebrate various uh, festivals. We commemorate the saints throughout the year. What do we do on those days? We talk about, say, Timothy and Titus. We, we give thanks for you know, young missionary pastors that are sent out. We, we talk about the Apostle Paul. Okay? Uh, is the Reformation really any different? What do we do in Reformation? Okay, well, we're emphasizing the gospel truth and justification in God's word. Usually, the celebration of Reformation involves remembering who? Martin Luther. What did he do? Nailed, you know, you can, you can, I guess that's kind of a, that was kind of a, not a very good question, was it? Very open-ended. He nailed the 95 Theses to the door, right? So, there's Reformation. He he started the, asking the questions, are those good deeds? Have those deeds followed Martin Luther 500 years later? Are they attached to his name? 
yes. Okay? So you then, in your life, people will certainly remember and your, your deeds, both good and bad, will certainly follow you. Ultimately, because of Christ, you now are absolved, given entrance into heaven and the resurrection that awaits because of Jesus. If you're just thinking you know, about your deeds and what you must do, then there's no Christ. Then you become your own Savior, correct? But it's both and. So good works are, are vitally important. Faith without works is dead, correct? Does Scripture not say that? Luther wrestled with this for a while. I, I would submit that he, he really came to a better understanding of it later on in life. Young Luther really did not like the book of James at all. Um, and because and, and he, he really had a hard time with this whole works thing because that's all he was taught. He was raised with this system uh, of earning your salvation, that grace is a power and ability, and you've got to appease an angry God, and, and, you know, and, and have I done enough? It's the saving Private Ryan moment, as I've told you before. Am I, have I been good enough? Right? So when you get to the end of your life and you start looking back and thinking, or you're just getting older now, or, or you're, it's Father's Day, and you're looking how big your kids are, and you know, what could I have done differently? What would I have done differently? I mean, you know, you, it's just it's a, it's a ridiculous path to go down. Um, you know, Jesus says, hey, I've got you, okay? All right, pastors, I, I, I see a couple of, of anything you want to add to any of that? You're, you're good? Okay, okay. Oh, this pastor does, sorry. I forgot about you. You're, on the, you're supposed to sit at that table back I'm there. I'm sorry, I'll, I'll move. <laughs> um, when it comes to, you know, those who have done good, and there really is only one good thing yeah. we can do, Thank you. And that is have faith in Christ. That's right. And when we start thinking of the other stuff we do good, that is, is where when we get to heaven, we aren't judged because we're covered with the blood of Christ. We're judged on the things we've done that are good and we won't even know what they were. Right. That we'll be going, oh, I did, oh. So oh. remember when Jesus is asked the question, what must I do to be saved? Do you remember how the rest of that conversation goes? How does Jesus talk about this? Faith, right? Believe. Believe in who? Believe in the one who's been sent. Okay? Uh, so by faith in, in the one who has come. And I mean, Jesus is literally just pointing to himself as he stands before the lawyer uh, and these others who come at him with all these questions, uh, thinking they can earn their way into heaven. You know, have faith in me. And that's ultimately, remember, why the Jews did what they did. Because Jesus was claiming to be God. And for them, that was a complete affront. Now, it was absolutely true, okay, which is, 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 is irony if you, if you like to follow that sort of stuff uh, in terms of storyline, um, okay? All right, so those who do good. So you do good, you will do good, you have done good, just, and that's the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, right? So Paul talks about the good that I want to do, I don't do. Right? And the bad I don't want to do, I don't do either. But thanks be to God who gives me the victory through Jesus Christ. So how do you achieve the victory? Through Jesus Christ, who with the Father now sends the Holy Spirit so that you will do good in your life. Okay, So there will be good works. There is good there. And the most important thing is simply faith. Okay, that, That's the greatest work of all, is just have faith, which he also gives you the ability to do. <laughs> right? So stick around late service people. We'll cover that in the sermon too a little bit. Yes, Mr. Harris. Ooh, which one, capital C or lowercase c? Capital C, okay. So how would the Roman Catholic Church interpret this? 
I think is what you're asking. Is that, is that fair to say? Um, I'm going to have to take a couple shots in the dark here, so don't hold me to that, okay? Um, I, I, I haven't researched how they have responded or explained the Athanasian Creed. That's something I don't believe I've ever done any study on, okay? And, and some of the other pastors here might have done that study. My guess would be that when they talk about the good entering eternal life, that's where they will start talking about grace being not a gift, but a power that's given to you, okay, to, to earn, achieve, accomplish, you know, to, 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 to live now uh, in, in that grace, right? Did I tell you the story of the, the, the pastor, well, retired priest? Uh, did I tell you, that when I was in seminary at, uh, uh, in St. Louis, a little, little golf course uh, there in For Forest Park is a nice uh, big area, not as big as Central Park in New York City, but similar type of concept. And a little nine-hole golf course um, that, I just forgot the name of it. I had the only hand-rolled clay tennis courts in the Midwest. Um, and so they, 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 they were known for kind of their tennis club, and they had a nine-hole course. And so they offered us seminarians really cheap golf memberships. And so we, we, could, we could sneak out, never sneak out of class, of course. And, and go play golf. So I started playing golf there, you know, every now and then because your seminarian's uh, life is kind of crazy. And I met this 70, mid, he was 74, 75, would shoot his age, L little guy. I mean, stood just, just maybe a tick over five feet tall. And so, uh, you know, it was common. You, you really weren't allowed to play by yourself that often. Normally they would pair you up. It was just kind of the social part of a city course, a private club like that. And so, so I played with him a lot of times. We got to talking and he asked what I did. I told him, I was at seminary. Oh, you're at seminary. I used to be a priest at the Vatican. And then he goes on and starts telling me about his time at the Vatican. And I said, well, what are you doing here in St. Louis? And he said, well, that's a really long story. I said, I'd like to hear it. He said, well, I grew up here in St. Louis. And um, I, I met, a, I met, a, I met a, a beautiful girl when I was about 10 years of age. And I fell in love at 10 years of age. But I was being groomed to go to the seminary. And uh, he goes, so I did. I, I went to the seminary, but he goes, after 15 years at the Vatican, you know, we'd kept in touch, and I decided I don't want to be a priest anymore. I want to be a husband. <laughs> and so uh, he uh, ceased being a priest. I'm not even sure how they do that. I, mean, I don't know if that's a matter, if, if they can retire, if they, I don't, I don't know their whole polity. I know the Missouri Synod stuff pretty well, but... Uh, so he comes back to St. Louis and at, I don't know, 60-some years of age, marries his sweetheart from childhood who had never married, right? Uh, and so and the, they, they got real involved in the community. They started these gardens and all this. I could tell you more about that, but th th here's the point of the story. So, so we start talking theology. And he says, well, what do you, how do you Lutherans handle this grace thing? And I said, well, grace is a, is a complete gift, it's a complete gift from God that I don't deserve. I haven't earned it. You know, it's forgiveness, it's life, it's forgiveness of sins, it's salvation. I mean, I just start spouting off the catechism. And he said, well, we don't, we, we don't believe that. He goes, the way I used to teach our youth is that the grace is, is as if you're given a coat of armor. And God gives you a coat of armor when you have grace. And you can go out there and you can... 
you know, you can, you can fight everybody. You've got, you know, the power. You've got the right hand of God. And he goes, that's what Paul is talking about with the breastplate and the helmet of salvation, the sword of the truth. And, and he, said, uh, he said, and then he adds this. And when you're living in that grace, you can't sin. Ooh. Yeah. So then he starts talking about literally being kind of infallible, right? And, and I said, you mean, are you talking about just priests? He said, no, no, no. He goes, all Christians. I said, so, so what does it mean to fall away from grace? He goes, oh, yeah, you're doomed. <laughs> hey, gone, <laughs> right? You know, so, so that's why he says you've got to go to confession, you've got to go to mass because you've got to put the armor back on. So every time you sin, you take off a piece of the armor or all the armor. And that's how he started to explain mortal sins and venial sins, you know. And I'm like, wow, I don't know if I could keep track of all that. Not only that, I would be worried each day about what? About whether I'm walking around naked before God, right? I mean, whether I'm going to, you know, die and go to hell that minute or, you know, what's going to happen. I mean, it's just, oh, that would just be ridiculous. So, um, Ooh, that clock in the back needs a new battery. We will not use that clock because we'll be here for a long time. Thank you, Matthias, for running the uh, projector. Um, so, so that's how I would submit that they would explain this, that you have to, you know, not only does the, the, the scales have to be tipped in the favor of the good, but it's, it, it's required then that, that you do it. So... Um, Anybody else want to help out on that one? Clergy or otherwise? Nothing. That, yes, sir, Kapeshka. Ooh, yeah, if you don't sin. But they would still maintain that you are sinful. I mean, that you're, you're still going to sin at some point, right? So that, that's where they would still trot out all have sinned and fallen short. And, and Roman Catholics would still cling to original sin. They, they sure would. They sure would. Now, keep in mind, would you ask Catholics about this? I mean, I've talked to many different priests, and I've heard a different take on all of this. It's hard to pin down sometimes a Catholic priest or a theologian on different things. Some of you that might have come, you know, I mean, I've, I've encountered some Roman Catholic priests where I'm like, dude, why aren't you Lutheran? I mean, I've encountered a few of those. Not many, but I've encountered a few where they're pretty good, Okay. Uh, if they can get over the whole praying to Mary and some of the other uh, popish nonsense, um, which, which they just have been trained with. So, okay. All right. Yes, sir. It does. That's kind of why I asked. Thank you for noting that, uh, noticing that. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yep, yep. Okay. That's right. We have to worry about uh, how, how many things are going to 
Right. Yeah, the problem with so many of the other denominations, and we, we, have, this, we have this problem, I would say, even in, in parts of the Missouri Synod, is that sanctification replaces justification. So I now become justified before God by what? By my good works. Okay, they won't say it directly like that, but that's exactly what it becomes. And so then you spend, your, you spend all your time trying to either find good works to do or trying to keep a tally of what you've done, right? Um, and so it's like the guy that stands before Jesus and lists off, you know, all the stuff that he's done. Hey, I tithe, I give 10%, you know? Like the, the Pharisee who's making fun of the other guy, you know, and he's standing on the street corner and, you know, and hey, you know, I'm glad I'm not like that guy over there. You know, I've, I've done everything according to the law. And that's believing then your work sanctification, then we'll, we'll get you that way. So, uh, but we also don't want to fall into antinomianism, which would be a rejection uh, of either the law or the understanding that God does command good works and provide instruction for it and wants you to do them, right? So, um, so it's, it's a balance is what it is. There will be an accounting. God in heaven knows everything that you think, say, and do. Okay, and there's two ways you should deal with that. One, that should absolutely horrify you. It should. Because you're a sinner. Okay? Um, the law, semper accusat, always accuses. Okay? Um, and so the, the, the law is always going to work in that way. But now... Where does faith come in? Faith says what? What did you say earlier? Jesus stands for me, right? Jesus has covered me in the waters of holy baptism. Jesus has shed his blood. And my account now before the Most High God is good because of Christ. And now because of what he's done for me and my love for him, what do I want to do? You want to please him, okay? Raise your hand if you ever wanted to make your dad happy. Yeah, you wonder where that comes from? I think you know, or you should know. Okay? So, you want to do good works. So, uh, and, that, and that's, you know, Holy Spirit within you as well. Okay, and, and the Lord at work. Okay, any other blah, 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 blah? Anything else on the Athanasian Creed? Pastor Grady, go ahead. No, I was pointing to my daughter who's asking to be raised. She had a question? <laughs> yeah, so the Athanasian Creed does talk about uh, good works, uh, and that's usually the one that most people go to, um, and, uh, and, and triune God, and uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit will accomplish that too. Just as He bestows these things to you, He will accomplish that for you. And, uh, and obviously, as the, the Athanasian Creed said, it's also necessary for everlasting salvation that one faithfully would believe the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's verse 27. Um, so that, that, that everything hinges still on how God now, and, and this is that, that other part of the assumption that we read in there, uh, the assumption not of um, the human, you know, assume, or the human uh, takes the divine into himself, but rather that the divine, you know, assumes humanity, okay? So again, that's all directional talk. It's all from God. Uh, it doesn't start with, it doesn't start from down below. It starts from above. So we just want to make sure our theology is always theology from above and not theology from below. And that's what Mark Hart's been teaching us as well. Okay. Any other questions?
Okie doke. On to chapter three. What do we got? About 10 minutes? Okay, let's do it. So let's see, chapter three. Let me find my tick mark here. And let's see, are we on, I believe we are, we're on page 53, correct? God and man, yet one person? Book people, does that sound right? Whoa, 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 say it again. Oh, we started chapter four. Oh, yes, there's my other tick marks, because we did the graph, and we talked about the J's on the graph. Okay. Yeah, so we should be, let's just pick up, let's pick up at the top of page 57. Got it? Yeah, because we talked about the list. I forgot about that. Thank you. So the word imputation, this is on page 57, chapter 4 of Marquardt's book. The word imputation is really the key to the whole thing. It means crediting or debiting something to someone, depending on whether it is a benefit or a debt. Now, this is great follow-up here to what we're just talking about with the Athanasian Creed. Other words for this, also used in various Bible translations, are considering, counting, accounting, reckoning, or reputing. The point is that to be justified means to be declared justice, or to be declared righteous, okay? Not to be made righteous by an inner charge, right? So it's not intranose, it's extranose. It's that which is done from outside, okay? theology from above, however you want to think of that. One can hardly think of a better explanation than that given by St. Paul in Romans 4, 2 to 8, and let's read that together. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now to one who works, His wages are not reckoned as a gift, but as his due. And to one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. So also David pronounces a blessing upon the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not reckon his sin. Okay? Questions or comments before we move on there? Good verse. Verses. So to be justified here means quite the same thing as to be forgiven. Since God is judge, justification is not a casual sentiment, but it is his favorable judgment or verdict. It is a judicial forgiveness and therefore an acquittal, as the RSV calls it in Romans 5.18. Judicial verdicts, of course, happen in courtrooms. This is why justification is called a forensic or a court-related act. This is to distinguish it from processes which happen in us, such as sanctification, which could be compared to a medicinal or healing activity. But according to the scriptures, we stand before God not because of internal improvements or healings, but simply because of His gracious verdict of forgiveness spoken over us. That is justification. Okay? Questions or comments? This is good stuff here. Okay. Given that justification is by imputation, everything else follows, right? So you got to get the horse. We talked about this last week. The, the horse has got to be doing the work or the semi-truck or whatever your favorite vehicle is, you know, big F-350, dually, big king, ki- sorry, am I going too far? And that's pulling the trailer. 
right? So the trailer now, that's, that's the good works, the cart, all that's all the gifts. God just keeps filling it up, right? So if you've ever watched, you know, the harvest come in, uh, if you've ever been around any grain elevators, you see this, okay? All right. Oh, uh, where am I at? Sorry, I got off. Given that justification is by imputation, everything else follows. In contrast to sanctification, which is God's gracious renewal in us, the pardoning verdict of justification happens not in us, but about us at the judgment seat of God. This verdict, of course, is an all-or-nothing affair. One is either forgiven and accepted by God or not, but never anything in between. You might want to ask, put an asterisk by that or highlight that. Okay? Justification cannot increase or decrease because it consists of the perfect and unchangeable righteousness of Christ credited to us. Okay? Now just back up a little bit. We talked a long time ago. I shared with you one of the, uh, the challenges that we have had in the Missouri Synod where some pastors and teachers uh, teaching that uh, absolution or forgiveness can only be given by a pastor. And so that when a husband says to his wife, I forgive you, or even when you say to a fellow Christian, I forgive you, that that's, that's a totally different type of forgiveness. Okay? Uh, that, that has nothing to do with God. And so then there becomes all these different levels of forgiveness. For a Christian, should you ever believe there are different types of forgiveness? No. We forgive as God in Christ forgave us. Forgive us our trespasses as we do what? Forgive those who trespass against us. Now there's a time and a place to talk about authority and the three offices or estates or fathers, civil, spiritual, home, all that's good. But this is what Marquardt's getting at. You see that? There's only one justification. Which means for you, I would simply say, one forgiveness. Okay? Hang on to that. Um, so justification cannot increase or decrease because it consists of the perfect and unchangeable righteousness of Christ credited to us. Faith does not add anything to this treasure, but merely does what? Receives it. Right? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Right? Uh, therefore, justification does not fluctuate with the strength or weakness of faith. The weakest, tiniest spark of faith justifies as fully as does the mightiest mountain-moving kind. Remember that parents with small children or grandparents, be sure to remind your kids. Now, I don't know why my little kids should be in church. They just, they take away from my appreciation, my enjoyment of it. Okay, yeah, join the club. But what does it mean for those kids? Why is it important for the kids to be in the divine service? What do we believe? Do we believe the Word is still doing a powerful work? We do, right? I mean, faith comes from hearing. Even while they're screaming and yelling and throwing Cheerios and sippy cups down the aisle and whatever, yeah, I mean, at some point you might need to take them out and beat them a little, but, uh, you know. So God, we believe God's Word is at work in that. Okay, and that's totally different from other denominations. And you might have been to those. You know, they've got the, whatever they call this children's church nonsense. I had to deal with that the first parish I was at years ago. Okay, and I said, this is ridiculous. Why are you taking the children out of church? Take them away from their parents. That's not how you're going to grow families. That's teaching the parents to be bad parents. Schluffing off their kids on, you know, somebody who probably doesn't want to be in church in the first place. Huh. 
which you, anyway, that's a whole other discussion. Now I've said too much. So, this should not be taken to mean, however, the justification is God's work and sanctification our own. No, also sanctification is entirely the gracious work of God in us, as the Savior himself says, I am the vine, you are the branches, apart from me you can do nothing. Okay, did I get that right? Yeah, okay, all right. We got about two minutes, so I'm going to stop there. We'll pick up on by grace. Uh, comments, closing questions, anything we missed today or that was unclear? Or in the words of Dr. G, one of my professors at St. Louis, Rentleman, are we queer? No, Dr. G, we're not queer. He meant clear, but yeah, I thought that was funny. I guess you didn't, so. Okay. Any other nothing? We're good? Okay. Uh, happy Holy Trinity Sunday. Okay? So if you're, if you're headed home, uh, whatever you're going to do today, may the Lord bless you and keep you. But uh, remember that God has given his name to you, and you can call upon it uh, in every trouble and every need. Um, and be mindful of how you call upon his name. Okay? Don't be omg on your phone all the time uh, or to your friends. Use God's name in a good, devout, pious, holy manner. And know that he is there uh, to hear you. And when you screw up, and you will, uh, know exactly and believe what Christ has done for you, which is great freedom in the gospel. Let's stand and close with the Lord's Prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. Amen.